Sorry, I'm just dancing. Sorry, guys. Good morning, everyone. All right. Hey, there's nothing wrong with dancing to the Lord. Amen? And if you guys can keep a rhythm, I would appreciate that. You're dancing in your heart. Well, we're starting a new series entitled Dangerous Prayers. Now, some of us would not actually think of these prayers as dangerous, but when we're thinking about our relationship with God, we have to ask that question. Does God want us to go into a realm, into a territory where he wants to stretch us? That he wants us to see that the purpose of our relationship with him is to draw in close intimacy with him. See, that's his desire. He longs for that and he will stretch us. And so these prayers that we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks is a series that will, will hopefully challenge you. And it's in light of Craig Rochelle's book, but we're going to change it up just a little bit. And we're going to look at different parts of the scriptures and understanding about the importance of prayer and how we as a church need to do something about our walk with God. And collectively, as we come together corporately, we would desire to want to walk with God together. That's important as we're praying together. And so we want to be on the same wavelength. That is so important. I have a story to share with you. It's, a, it's actually a, a, a story from the book, The Whisper of Mark Batterson. And it's a common story. It's, a, it's an actual true story. It says, on the morning of August 27, 1883, ranchers in Alice Springs, Australia, heard what sounded like gunshots. The same mysterious sound was reported in 50 geographical locations spending, spanning excuse me, one-thirteenth of the globe. What those Aussies heard was the interruption of a volcano on the remote island of Indo in, in Indonesia, 2,233 miles away. That volcanic eruption... Possibly the loudest sound ever measured was so loud that the 310 decibel sound waves circumnavigated around the globe around at least four times. It generated 3,000 foot tidal waves through rocks 34 miles and cracked one foot thick concrete 300 miles away. And we got to understand that sound and hearing with, will be measured by what we call decibels. It's actually what, what, the, what the meaning of it is. It's an act of hearing is detecting vibrations of the eardrums caused by sound waves. And the intensity of those waves is what we call and measured by decimals. So when we're hearing, there's actually vibration that's going on in our eardrums to detect what we're listening to. And so what we want to talk about today, one of the dangerous prayers that we could ever ask is what we'll see in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. When Eli told Samuel, he said, just say this to the voice that's calling on you, speak for your servant hears. And as we want to understand, when we ask God, can we hear from you, we want to understand what does that mean? Because I think that's one of the things that we're struggling with as Christians, 
If we really want to understand what does it mean to hear from God, we have to spend time with God. In order to spend time with God, it's not a casual meeting. It's not something we would just quickly say something to God and then move on with our business throughout the day. It may require more than just that, and we're going to talk about this, but talking about sound waves and how they're measured in decibels, I want to just give you uh, something that we're trying to work on, M1, not, or excuse me, C1, it's not working here, clicker's not working. Okay, thank you. And um, here's, sound waves are measured in decibels. The sperm whale, for instance, there's a range between 20 and 200 decibels. Okay, so 20 being more of the lower end, obviously 200 on the higher end. Anything below 20 is called an infrasonic sound, but anything above 200 is ultrasonic. And so think about a sperm whale has a sound wave decibel of 200. Then we have a jet engine, which is 150. Uh, Don't you know, then it goes on and it says the air horn is around 129, even a thunderclap is around 120. And if some of you who are contractors and you work with a jackhammer, it's around 100. And not one of you husbands say, well, my wife is somewhere between 200 and 100. Don't you say that. If she's going to yell at you anytime, don't you even think of that. But just the decibel sound waves, the sound waves, they're, they're measured on those decibels, and those are high. But a normal conversation is around 60. A whisper is around the 30 or 40. The rustling of leaves are around 20. So although we may not hear an audible voice of God, it's likened to be under 20 because of a vibration that we might sense. And what I mean by a vibration, you might think like just a vibration on your phone. No, I'm not referring to that. I'm talking about sensing that God is speaking. When he's speaking, we know where he speaks through as Christians. We see, you know he speaks through his word, the word of God. It's living. It's a two-edged sword. It speaks. It challenges us in the depths of our being. And it's challenging us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Or that God would speak through people. Or that God would speak through circumstances. But we understand, too, that when we spend quality time with God we would understand that he is speaking. Now, understandably so, is that the idea of of, uh, this idea of speaking, we're confronted with many things in our lives. And with us, we have to understand too that when we're trying to hear, we may not actually hear because our ears are deafened to God's voice. And this Tomatis effect, which happened some years ago, Dr. Tomatis had an opera singer that he had to work with because this opera singer was having a difficult time singing a note. And when he sat with this opera singer, he found out and he measured the decibels were around 140. But what he recognized was, he said, it's not the problem with the voice He said the problem is that he can't hear his note, therefore he can't find that tune and sing that note. And so Dr. Tomatis realized, and what's known today as the Tomatis effect, is that Dr. Tomatis was saying that his ear was deafening. Sometimes what he's saying is that he's saying that if you can't hear, then you can't speak, and therefore you can't sing. If you can't hear your note, it's difficult to be able to sing the note. 
And I wonder with us as Christians that we're just, our ears are deafened to God's voice because we just can't seem to hear it. Sometimes we, we get struggling thinking what the source of our problems are. We have emotional problems. We have relational problems with people whom we contact with. We have now psychological problems going through COVID with everything that we've been going through. People are more depressed and more, more attuned to even committing suicide today. And then we have people who have spiritual problems. But is it possible that the deeper problem isn't that? Maybe it's possible that that's all symptomatic. That the deeper problem that we are having as Christians is our ears are deafening to the voice of God. It's kind of calling the spiritual tomatus effect. And we have to understand that what is, what is it the voices that we're hearing around us? Could it be that we're hearing negative self-talk that's just dominating our eardrums? Or is it possible that it's self-criticism? just beating ourselves up to the point where we're just criticizing ourselves and then criticizing others around us. We're criticizing our spouses. We're criticizing our children. We're criticizing everything around us because everything seems so doom and gloom that we're just looking for criticism all around us. Or if it's possible that the culture and the voices that we're hearing or conformity is consuming us. The question is, what is truly dominating our ears? These voices are dominating our ears and our lives that we can't hear God. Do we give God a voice in our lives? Is he a dominant voice or non-existent voice? See, Satan, the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren, wants these other voices to dominate us. And so often in our lives that we don't have a chance and it's his desire as the enemy to stop, those, stop God's voice from coming in our lives and he wants those others to dominate that he'll even go even further and say, God doesn't love you. If he did, why wouldn't he allow you, allow all this chaos in your life? Why wouldn't he allow you to do what you want to do? God doesn't want what's best for you. If he did, he would give you what you want. God doesn't have a perfect plan for your life if he just wants you to believe so that he can manipulate you so you can do what he wants you to do. You will suffer and he gets what he wants. Is, that's not your happiness, right? He wants, you want happiness. Don't look to God. He's not looking for your happiness. Or when we listen to other voices and we're not listening to God's voice, we're off balance. We're off alignment. When you're driving a car and it's off alignment, right, Ken? You got to get back on the, on the rack. And when you get it back on the alignment rack, then you adjust the vehicle so that it won't swerve or move or pull. It will go straight. And see, with God, God is trying to get us back to a place where if we would not deafen our ears to him, but listen to him and try to spend that quality time with him, then it's possible that God's saying, hey, you know what's happening? You've deafened your ear to me. I need you to bring attention to what I'm about to say. And so God desires for each one of us to discover his voice. And it's not something in which we can just discover in a moment of time because it truly is the remedy to our lives. When we spend time in hearing his voice, when we're spending time in his word, we hear his voice. We draw near to him and an intimacy starts to happen. And then no matter what goes around us, we draw close to God and then he carries us through that difficult moment. 
And when he carries us through it, then we could say, okay, God, you're carrying me through this because I hear your voice. Because it doesn't matter what's happening around with us. If God is the one who's near us and we know it, then we can walk in confidence day by day. And then others will see a difference in us. And then when we walk in confidence in the midst of our craziness and our chaos, then God is going to be able to use us to be a light for him. And that's what we want to do. And so that dangerous prayer that we're going to talk about in just a moment with Samuel is that speak, Lord, for your servant hears. It's a very dangerous prayer because what you're saying is, God, I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. But if God is speaking to you and you hear a clear voice from him and he's telling you something in your word and you're not willing to do it or I'm not willing to do it, that's more dangerous ground than the prayer itself because we're not being obedient to God. And so God's calling on us to do that. And that's why it's important for us to understand. And so when we come before God, we have to understand that his voice is a comforting voice. It's, it's truly what we need in harmony with the Lord, the voice of joy, the voice of wisdom, the voice of healing, the voice of peace, the voice of power, and the voice of grace, which we need plenty of it, and the voice of truth. And see, truth, when the word of God speaks, it's a two-edged sword, and it speaks of the truth. It's penetrating the sinner's heart. When it penetrates the sinner's heart, God is saying, I want to show something to you so that I can help you and reveal to you so you can confess the sin and then you and I can grow in greater intimacy together. See, God is inviting us to spend time with him. God is inviting us to hear his voice. So here are a couple of things we're going to look at in 1 Samuel, just in Samuel's calling in chapter 3. If you would just turn there, we're going to look at a couple of things. You see, when we invite God to speak to us, we're going to have a couple of things. We must do a couple of things. One is that we have to be still. We must be still. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles with me, you can just look up at the monitor. It says, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And it says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And let's just give you kind of some background here, okay? Eli is the high priest in the temple. He has two sons that we heard about in chapter 2 that were committing sin, heinous sin, blaspheming God. We'll talk about that in a short minute. But what happened was Eli was growing older. He was not only physically um, disabled, but also he started to go down spiritually. He wasn't hearing from God any longer. And that's why when you see that in verse 1, it says, rarely do you hear the word of God. Really, that's talking about the time of Judges and the book of Judges going into 1 Samuel. Samuel is a judge, but then is becoming a prophet. And so... Understanding that although prophetic activity wasn't in its highlight day of hearing from God, there was a transition because Eli was walking not close to God and he was, he was not doing what was responsible for him to do as a high priest, especially when he had problems in his own household because his sons were commit, committing heinous sin and did not repent, did not confess their sin. They continued to do so and defied God. But see, here when you see in verse 3, 
is quite fitting. It says, because now Samuel, we understand, as we know in the background too, is that Hannah had prayed for Samuel. Hannah would pray because she was barren. She prayed that God would give her a child. God gave her a child, promised, and she said, Lord, if you give me a child, I will, I will lend him to you for his lifetime. And so even in chapter 1, verse 28, he did, she did so. She said that. She said, I will lend my child to you. And so he grew in stature, he grew in wisdom, he grew in favor with the Lord and also with man in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. And so we see that she had given this child over to the Lord. And what does this child do? He's dedicated to the Lord. He's sitting there at the temple. Because right there, verse 3, at the lamp of God, where oil was placed in there for the, for the wick to be burnt all day and night. And for the lamp to be lit, it had not yet gone out. So here was Samuel just lying there in the temple. But get this, where? Where was he lying? He was lying by the ark of God, which is the presence of God. He was still. He sat there as an obedient servant, humbled before God in his presence. Many of us would read that verse and just kind of use it as a, a, just like a, a narration or just a part of the story. But you got to look at that and see that he was just being still before God. How often do we hear all these voices that distract us? How many of us are in households right now where devices are going up? Beep, 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 boop, boop, boop. And then you hear all these sounds and all these videos going on and these songs. And if you were to look and evaluate your home, who's on the particular device, whether it be a phone or an iPad or anything for that matter, if it could be a Kindle, every child has a device and every parent is on their device. And all day it's distracting us. We hear all kinds of voices, and if I got to be honest with you, if you're sitting in there in your news media all day, and you're listening to it, and you're listening to it, and you're watching it, and you're reading, and you're reading, and you're just consuming yourself with all that information, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? All this information. <laughs> and if you're just constantly putting all these devices on, when are you and I giving time to be still before God to hear his voice? When are we just going to be still? When are we just going to say, God... I want to hear your whisper. We're not giving God that opportunity. We're deafening our ears. And then we expect God to bless us. And then we expect God to grow the church. And then we expect God to do wondrous things. See, what the dangerous prayer is, God, speak for your servant hears. It means that, Lord, I will drop everything, all my distraction, all these voices, and just be still. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. When do we give that time to God? Do we just throw him in our to-do list, in our schedule? Do we just say, hey, God, I'll just throw you in when I can? Is he the last resort, like Tim said? Or is he our first choice? That's what we have to ask those questions. Because no one's here to judge. I don't know what's going on with your lives. I have no idea. I've got to be concerned about me right now. I've got to make sure if I stand before you and challenge you that I'm doing this very thing that I'm challenging you to do i got to tell you something. I've added it onto my list. A certain time every day, I get on my knees and pray. And I ask God to do a work. Not just for people and for my family, but to do a work here at Grace Church. And we got to come collectively to be still before the Lord. We know this passage very clearly. It says, Psalm 46, 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Be still, cease, stop, 
Actually, in the Hebrew, it means to choose one thing in favor of another. (laughs) So what's that one thing we're choosing in favor of another? Are we going to drop the devices, guys? (laughs) Are we going to just drop them for a minute? Are we going to choose something in favor of another? And I'm smiling because God's called us to that. Why? Because he loves you. He loves me. He wants to draw us into intimacy. He wants us to draw close to him and to love him, to enjoy him. Because when intimacy comes, it doesn't matter what goes on around us. When we hear the voice of God, then God is moving on us. And we know the security that he's our strength, he's our rock, he's our shield, he's our fortress, he's our deliverer, he's our refuge. Then we start to sound like the psalmist. Not only David, but others who have written that because they were crying out to God and God became the refuge. God is saying, will you just say, servant, sir, speak for your servant hears. And if we could do that, God would do an amazing, amazing work. Real quick, I got to share a quick little story. When I first got saved in 1989, I went to a camp. And I told you some time ago, it was a camp where it was a Norwegian camp up in New Hampshire. So Bruno came, and he had Vito and Rocco calling him in. And so we had, you know, everybody thought, like I told you before, they thought they were hiding me out from the mob. But it wasn't true. I was a Christian. God saved me. He saved me, and I'm on more on fire than I've ever been. But when I, I was on fire at that time because I was only three, four months in the Lord. And there was a beachfront, and I was sitting out there, and I read Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, and just meditated on it, sitting out and looking at the lake. And I just was, didn't understand it. I'm still growing in my relationship with God, reading and just having my devotion. And it talks about that salvation is a gift from God. It's no works for myself. And you got to be honest, when I, I got to be honest, when I was in three, four months in the Lord, I was still trying to grasp that and understand that it was a gift from God. That's something that I earned. And so that morning, I went to go get ready. And, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years old. I'm, I'm broke. I'm making 60 bucks a week over there at the camp. They, you know, my church matched it. I was making a whoop, whooping 120 a week. And so I'm sitting there, and I had these plastic, you know, blades there, or single blade. And I was cutting myself here and there. And, and I just was sitting there and getting ready. There was a guy next, door, next to me, and he was sitting there. I was like, yo, what's that? He goes, it's electric shaver. For some crazy reason, I've never seen him. My father had the single blade. i just never seen any. I was like, that's a really cool thing, man. So he goes, yeah, it's really cool. It doesn't cut me up. And I'm sitting there all like bloody and everything. And he, I was like, wow, I would love to have one of those. Maybe someday when I make more than what I'm making right now, I'll have it. And so I left and said goodbye, met the guy. And then they go, Bruno to the front front office, Bruno to the front office. And I was like, okay, who's calling me now? So I go down there and there's... A gift there with a note. I said, who would want to get me a gift? Now, remember, I'm just walking with the Lord. I didn't understand all this. I would never receive a gift unless it was my birthday. And there was a gift. I opened it up. Electric saver. And this person wrote out all about God's gift. He didn't know. He had no idea my meditation that morning. God said to me, I love you, son. My salvation is a gift. You don't have to earn it. I just want a relationship with you. I began to weep as I'm trying to stop not doing that right now. And God just spoke to me so clearly. I heard his voice. I saw the scripture written right down, the same verse that I studied. I was amazed because I was a proud man. No one could give me a gift. I have to earn it. 
I'll never forget that day. It's 31 years later, and I'm still, I haven't forgotten it. God so desires for us to just be still in his presence. He wants to offer us the greatest gift we have, his salvation. We don't have to do anything to earn it. All we have to do is just be grateful for it. He just wants us to be still. Number two, when we invite God to speak to us, we must be willing. We must be willing. Look with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. I've got to read the story out to you. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran. He ran to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. As he went and he, and he lay down, the Lord called him again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived. Took him a while. Eli perceived. See how he was losing his ear to God? Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down. If he calls you, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. See, it's gotta be understood here. How do we know that he was willing? He ran. That's as simple as it gets in the storyline. He ran. He was anticipating. He wanted to serve. He had a humble heart. He was willing to say, yes, Eli, what would you have me to do? Not knowing it was God. He didn't know the Lord. It wasn't revealed to him yet, but he was willing. How many of us are willing to run, to make time for God, to be still, and to be willing and saying, yes, Lord, forget everything else all around me, all these voices, all these distractions. God, I'm running to you. Lord, I'm running to you. Lord, I look to you. And he's running and he's running and he's running. He's willing to hear. And, he, and although he did not know the Lord, he was willing to do it. Willingness comes from his people when they know God wants to improve their character or give them opportunity to witness to others or advance the kingdom. We have an opportunity to do so. God desires for us to do that. See, reveal means to expose and disclose information. And although he did not obviously know God at that time, he started to because God was working on him. He was preparing him to hear his voice. And even though Eli was walking out into the sunset, slowly as, as a judgment's already been placed on him and his family, here he was able to see. How many of us, though, can we say if we ask the question, are we selective listeners or active listeners? See, selective listener is defined as a person, this is my definition, who hears what he or she chooses to hear, not what they should hear. Chooses to hear, not what they should. Now, I know many spouses can really get on each other for this. You just wanted to hear what you wanted to hear. Well, I understand that. And some of us, especially men, we have that nothing box. We are selective hearers, and there's no excuse there. But the idea is that selective hearing is only choosing what we want to. Because, see, sometimes... What happens is selective hearing, we want information that is desirable. 
We just love what we're hearing, and it's desirable. It's comfortable. It doesn't stretch us. It's just enough that we can handle. It's reasonable, meaning it's just, it's reasonable. I don't have to be stretched. Oh, you're not asking me too much. Okay, good. I'll just listen to what I want to hear. Or it's achievable. Okay, I could do that. That's not too bad, because if it's not achievable, then we have to actually be stretched and think about it and meditate on it. And then lastly, it's sensible. You're not asking too much of me. See, that's the selective listener. They don't want to be stretched. They want to be comfortable. They want it to be achievable so that it can be within their wheelhouse. Well, the active listener is a little bit different. An active listener, as I have said here, is defined as a person who hears something and chooses to follow through without hesitation. That's the active listener. For the active listeners, allow for information that has no boundaries or time limits, um, takes total priority, and demands obedience. Those are active listeners. It doesn't matter if it's in a relationship one-on-one or especially with our relationship with God. And God is looking for people who are willing, people who are willing to hear. You know, there's many ways in which we can listen. One other way that we can listen is being a deep listener. A deep listener means being fully present and ready to listen to another person. This form of listening involves empathy, understanding, unconditional respect for the other person. What would the church look like if they would practice true, deep listening with God? Fearing God, respecting God, and ready to listen. See, this is the true intention of the disciple in the New Testament. And God is calling us to do that. The third thing, when we invite God to speak to us, we must be ready. We just must be ready at any time. Because here in verse 9, when he's saying, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, now in verse 10, he's about to get something from God. In verse 10, it says, and the Lord came and stood calling at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Now, it's important there in the Hebrew. When God speaks two names together, just putting them together, he, it's a calling. He did it with Moses. It's a calling. He's calling Samuel as a young boy to be the prophet of Yahweh. And he's calling him, so therefore he's preparing him now. He prepared him with the two other callings. And then the third one, Eli said to him, listen one more time, it's God. Sometimes what happens is we get frustrated because we try to hear from God, it didn't work, I'm giving up. But God's saying, wait a minute, I didn't ask you to do it just once. It's a pattern. It's an exercise. It's going before God it's asking God, please, Lord, I want to hear from you. What would you have me to say? It's nothing mystical. It's hearing from him through the word of God. It's hearing from him as he speaks through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here, Samuel is being spoken to. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. I am here, Lord. What would you have me to do? And then the Lord said, cool, I got your ear. Let me tell you something. Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel in which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Here's God in his poetic statements here. And all that, I, that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever. Whew. 
That's a good word from God. Boy, that's a good thing. Can you imagine trying to receive that right away? For the iniquity that he knew because his son was blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Here's a couple of things. Number one is here, God's giving Eli, or excuse me, Samuel, this assignment. And he has to go now talk to his mentor, to his boss, to the person who's leading him. He's got to tell him, can you imagine? Imagine doing that if you had to have a word from God to talk to your boss, to talk to your neighbor, yeah, or even to talk to your wife or your husband. And I'm going to tell you something. Husbands, if you have something that God's given you about your wives, you better be praying about that before you present it to your wives. And when you present it to your wives, be ready because you may be on the couch or in your spare room for a couple of days. But here's the thing. Eli was a peacemaker. He didn't deal with his children. His children were blaspheming God. In fact, that was a capital sin. And of Leviticus 24, 16, if you blaspheme God, you were stoned to death. But Eli didn't seem to do that. They were committing sexual immorality with the women at the tent just before walking into the temple. And they were having heinous, heinous acts of sin and continually to do it with defiance. And yet he did nothing about it. He was a peacemaker. He was an avoider. He didn't want to deal with it. He didn't want to deal with his son. He was hoping that God would just kind of brush it over and forget about it. And he didn't do anything about it. So God had to use a young boy who he was preparing to be a prophet to speak a word of judgment to show him, you're going to be my prophet speaking of more and to holding everyone accountable. And I'm about to give it to you for your mentor. And here we understand too in Numbers chapter 50, 30 and 31 about unintentional sin and intentional sin. Because we have to understand this, that God was serious about sin. And that God was calling them out for judgment. But here's what he says in Numbers chapter 15, verse 30 and 31. He says, but the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. This was the judgment even mentioned to Eli and his family. There was intentional sin in their family. And God said, I'm removing your family because you did nothing about it. As a priest, my high priest, the one whom I've chosen. And you know what? You have done nothing about it. And so now I will remove it. In fact, the word high hand in the Hebrew means one who is defiant, who attacks God, who's defiant against, deliberately defiant with an arrogant spirit. No matter how often God reminds them, they continue on sinning. And God would not even consider blessing them or having grace or mercy. He cuts them off. Why is it today, and I'm not here to judge anyone, why is it today we as believers, New Testament believers, think that's just Old Testament language? Why is it that we don't understand that our sins, when we're deliberate and defiant, When we continue to sin, we know that we're sinning when we're living in sin, and yet we expect God to bless us with his mercy and his grace. Why do we think that God is just going to brush over sin? We're not only missing out on relationship, on intimacy with God, we're actually in dangerous ground to be removed in our intimacy with him. We may be Christians, but at best carnal Christians. And if we're carnal Christians, we're really not making a difference for the kingdom of God. And that's serious. And here even now, 
God was teaching Samuel to not just listen to his voice, but be ready to share whatever he had him to share, no matter how hard the message was. And this is serious because for us, we have to be willing to hear and we got to be ready to receive it. This was of great magnitude. And that's why Samuel didn't hold back. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what deems good to him. And he did it. And he goes on, he says, I just, I just, you have to understand that has hearing from God ever been easy for his servants? No. I mean, in the Old Testament, we understand Jonah, the fall of Nineveh, Hosea, the sins of Israel, even showing that he's divorced them, an immorality that was occurring. God was calling them out. Jeremiah, I mean, he was a weeping prophet, the captivity of Judah, 70 years because of their sin. Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, God was calling his prophets at, at a, a moment's time to be ready. And they were willing to do that. Do we have the courage to pray this prayer, this dangerous prayer? Do we have the courage to say, God, speak for your servant hears? Is it possible that if we do that, God will reveal sin in our lives so we would need to confess it? Or to forgive someone who doesn't deserve forgiveness from us? Or to confess sin in our, in our lives or confess sin to our spouses, whether if you're a man or a woman with pornography? Or is it possible that God is just saying, I, you know, you have to say, God, disturb me. And if he disturbs us, that he might change our job and call us to move somewhere else? Or is it possible that God, if we pray this prayer, to have the courage to share the gospel with our boss, with our family members, or our neighbors? Or is it possible that we just have to tell a brother or sister that they need to stop living in sin? Enough's enough. See, speak for your servant hears is a dangerous prayer because we need to be willing to hear and ready to obey. It's a deep, deep, deep dangerous prayer. But are we ready? Because let me tell you something, if you're not ready, if you're not ready or if I'm not ready to speak, because I, I, I gotta be honest with you, I started to say that prayer and I was scared because I'm like, oh, wow, Lord, what's gonna start? What are you gonna start revealing to me? I was, I was afraid, but I have to start saying that prayer because I can't stand up in front of you and tell you or encourage you to do the same. And so, we have to be willing to obey. We have to be willing to trust God. We have to be willing to believe that God will be with us. Look what happened with Samuel at the end. At the end of this beautiful story here in chapter three. And Samuel grew. He grew in his relationship with God. He grew with intimacy with God. He grew knowing that he had to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, and he grew. So it was greater intimacy with God, and the Lord was with him. So he says, I promise to be with you. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. You know, in, in Psalm 46, when he says, be still, know that I'm God, it's because at the beginning of the chapter, he was afraid. 
And yet he was finding his refuge in the Lord. And, and, and when we know that God is with us, he'll be with us in that dangerous prayer. And he, said, and he, he said, I will, I will make you successful. Let none of his words fall to the ground. Because in Deuteronomy 18, 18, God has said about the prophet, which will be Jesus, but said of any prophet that speaks in my name, I will be with them and make them successful. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established, was founded, was attested as the prophet of the Lord. How was he attested? How was he faithful? He was willing to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. He was willing to say this dangerous prayer, and God honored him for that. In fact, everybody all around Israel knew that he was the prophet of Yahweh. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself at Shiloh, to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. See, remember in the first part of the verses, the word of God was rare. No longer, (laughs) because now the prophet's here. Samuel's here to carry them through, to get them to a place where they're a nation being used of God as a special people. See, you and I, if we're willing to just trust God in that dangerous prayer, what God can do in the midst of Grace Church and all around this community, if we're just willing to be the church and say, God, here I am, your servant. Servant is here. Lord, speak for your servant hears. If we could just believe God for that dangerous prayer, but it's a dangerous prayer. And I want to challenge you that you would trust God in the midst of this that we would trust God. I want to pray that right now in this moment, just before we go into communion, and for you who are on Facebook, don't, don't switch off yet. Please hang with us for communion. I want to encourage you to, to think about this prayer and to say it, but to say it if you mean it. If you're afraid, I want to encourage you to ask God to give you the courage to do so. Let's just pray for a moment right now. Let me bow your heads down with us. Father, thank you. These dangerous prayers are going to stretch us, Lord, and I pray that it does. I pray that your people here, that Grace Church will be stretched, and with that, Lord, will come struggles and challenges, but you promised that you'll be with us. You promised Samuel... And you're promising us. You have Jesus in mind. And so, Lord, I pray in these moments that we would simply say in the depths of our being that we could hear your voice. Not audibly, but we can hear your voice. Speak for your servant hears. And, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in a mighty way. God, as we are preparing right now for communion, what a great opportunity for us to be reminded of Jesus, the prophet. He was a prophet, a priest, and a king. But the prophet who was sent by you, Father, the Missio Dei, and I pray that today you would help us to recognize how important this is to just reflect on your son who was willing to die as a perfect substitutionary atonement for our sin. God, may we just rest in knowing that you are a God that loves us deeply. In Jesus' name, amen.